You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. So I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians today. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. And now Naomi is going to read from Isaiah. A reading from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 40, 21 through 31. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, By the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The word of the Lord. All right, everyone, you ready? Let's stand to our feet. I'm excited, hopefully next week, to also be able to stand to my feet. Hopefully, but if I can't for whatever reason, just hold that applause till when I can and do it again, because it would be. This is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. And immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. 
Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very, everybody say very, very. early, and rising very early in the morning. As we say, Jesus happened to the day. He didn't let the day happen to him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. In two weeks, we will be celebrating the beginning of the season of Lent. And as you hear every year, we go through the liturgical year and we walk with Jesus through his life from announcement to ascension and the sending of the Holy Spirit to make sure that Easter and Pentecost are not holidays to us, but ordinary life. We go through the liturgical year every year to train our soul, our body, our spirit, our mind to recognize that Easter and Pentecost are everyday lived out realities, not holidays that we celebrate once or twice a year. And so it is important for us to understand that the culmination of all of the feast days of the church, Advent, where we celebrate waiting, and Christmas, where we talk about new yet small mustard seed beginnings, and Epiphany, which we're in now, where we talk about revelation, the gift of God of clarity and surprise and joy that comes from ordinary places. Then we move into Lent, and we do all of these things so that when we get to Easter and we get to Pentecost, we call it ordinary time, where we realize for the whole second half of the year that everything we learned about from Advent through Easter is our ordinary life. It's not a holiday. We live from that holiday, and we celebrate it every day, that Jesus, as we said last week, that Jesus has now taken death. And he's turned it into an unresolved issue. Something is happening in death where it not only is final, but he's almost converted it so that death now, it's not that it doesn't hold us anymore. It actually sends us into our purpose. How many have died and can say, now my life is hidden with Christ and God? Amen? Death does something different now. And so we need to live this reality. The liturgical year walks us through his life. And it reveals our life in the revelation of his life. And it shows us where our lives need to grow and change to be unified with him. So Robert Jensen would say things like, Satan didn't show up in the wilderness because Jesus got there. Jesus' life revealed who Satan is and what he's always doing so that we can see that Satan is now a strong man that's been bound by Jesus. Amen? 
And so when we walk with him through the year, his life reveals the dissonance of our life, and it gives us the grace, and it calls out of us the grace to have our lives become unified with his and the world around us and each other. So in Lent, we join Jesus in the wilderness to see the enemy exposed in us and around us so that we can learn what our mission in life is. We have gotten into a rut where we, when we face trial, when we face temptation, our goal is to survive and get through it. And we fail to realize that most of the time, whatever you're struggling with internally or externally has as much to do with your mission in life and your future and the work God wants to execute through your life than just merely getting through stuff. Odds are what you're battling on the inside right now as God teaches you through that is going to be something that you're delivering somebody else from one day. All right, so everybody say, nothing is ever wasted. Everything you're going through has as much to do with your future. Jesus got baptized in the Jordan River, went right into the wilderness so he could stand face to face like David in front of Goliath with his mission in life, which is to destroy the power of evil. He bound him in the wilderness, and plundered him on the cross. Amen? So if you're in a wilderness period, which we're going to talk about today, if you're stuck, if you're in travail, if you are dealing with temptations, even if you feel like you're failing, all of that, Jesus is going to walk with you through it to not just get you through, but to show you the person you're becoming for the kingdom of God. So we have to get ready for Lent. It's not enough just to show up that day. We have to prepare ourselves for Lent. And so for the next two weeks, I'm going to be preaching on the topic of gray zones, the dangerous time after war and before peace. The dangerous time that exists after war but before peace. I feel like our focus for the season of Lent is going to be people to learn to become people who are not only not anxious, but we don't carry around us an anxious presence. I've been married for 13 years, and one of the things I've learned about myself in the revelation that is marriage is when I walk into a room, for better or for worse, until death do us part, My energy seems to follow me into whatever room I'm in. So if I'm in a good mood, I see the room kind of buoy up. And if I'm having my own bad day, I feel like my anxious energy can start to affect the room. And I don't want it to. But have you ever felt somebody walk into a room and you could feel it shift? Have you ever shown up in a room and wondered who killed the party? There's something to be said (laughs) Jeff to my left. There's something to be said for the reality that God wants to be in us in such a way that without much effort, we walk in, and when we say greetings, the room shifts and gets peaceful. It is possible, not when we get to heaven one day, but tomorrow, to be so aware of ourselves and to be so aware of what's going on on the inside that we can be a presence that is inhabited by a presence that brings peace where we go. 
Some of us are stuck because we think the best we can do is to just not be anxious ourselves. But God has so much more for us than that. It's not just that he doesn't want me to be anxious. He wants me to be able to stand in a storm and be able to say, peace, be still. And have the tumultuous waves in somebody else's life come. But we have to prepare for that. There's work that we have to do to be able to be those kinds of people. To be able to be that kind of church. A place. Has anybody heard the phrase third spaces? Third spaces are things like the mall. Remember that? Remember going to the mall? Movies? Bowling? Bounce? Church? These are third spaces. And third spaces are dying these days. And what third spaces ultimately were designed for is to absorb human anxiety in some sort of recreation or wisdom or prayer, depending on what the place is. And as third spaces are dying out, as we are devaluing places like the mall, like church, pause for dramatic, I'm talking to all of you, as we devalue this, we're wondering why we are so anxious. It's sort of like when chain stores move out of an area, the homes start to absorb all those taxes that the chain stores were absorbing. We are absorbing anxiety that was meant to be evened out in places like church. So it's one of those things where we have to fight to be able to keep some of these spaces alive, not least the one we're in now, amen? Because it helps absorb and share and shoulder the burden of anxiety. So what are gray zones? We're going to be talking about this reality for the next really seven weeks leading up to Palm Sunday. But what are gray zones? Well, the standard definition is a war term. And it simply means the time after war and before peace. So obviously there are places that are still at war, and obviously there are places that are in peace, but even war is no longer as concrete as it used to be. It's not Army 1 lining up across from Army 2 and having a, a fight like the beginning of Gladiator. Now it's terrorism. Now it's information war. Now it's cyber war. It's, it's more convoluted, so we don't even know when or where we are even at war all of the time. And my fear is the way that that looks in the world is also how it may look in our marriages. We don't know if we're actually at war or not. It's convoluted and confusing. When you think about something like the Civil War, that war ended, but the peace it was seeking to accomplish has not happened yet. Amen? The reason why there's a civil rights movement is because the civil war ended, but the civil peace it was trying to accomplish has not happened yet, and we're living in a very long gray zone. Maybe it's the war of addiction in somebody's life, where they got over that first hump of the addiction, but the peace, the new life, the ease, the, the anchoring into a new space has not happened yet. And so every day feels like it could be a day where it all falls apart. Personal breakthrough. How many in church at some point in your life have had a breakthrough? And then you wonder where that breakthrough went on Tuesday. On Sunday afternoon. 
you leave after a Sunday where the Holy Spirit does something in your life and life almost feels more dangerous than it did before you had the breakthrough because you're after war, but the, the embodied incarnate reality of the breakthrough, once the emotion settles down, it takes work and time for that to settle in. And the time between the end of the war and the peace is a very dangerous time. Politically, a gray zone is the time after an election, but before the inauguration. Anybody remember January 6, 2020? After election, before inauguration, is a dangerous time. We used to say that's only in third world countries. No. It's in first world countries that have an impoverished third world mentality towards their political system. And it happens. But it also happens with sowing, waiting, and reaping. You sow faith. You sow a seed. You sow an action. That's the election. You've elected to do this new resolution, this new action, and you're excited about it. And the moment where you, where you perform that act in faith is exciting. And then there's this whole period of time before harvest called waiting. And nobody likes it. And you wonder... Is that faith gonna, that faith act, is it gonna survive this winter season that I'm in? Is anything happening down there? Is it growing? It's a vulnerable time for the seed before it begins to grow. And in a societal way, and in a personal way, it's the time after normal and before the new normal which is what we're in right now as a world, as a country, post-COVID. It's the time when you were used to seeing systems in the world, in your church, in your home. You're used to seeing structures, and those structures are still there, but they no longer operate the way that they used to. And everything is in this hybrid in-between moment where you can see the reality of what was once working. I always liken this to the moment that we brought Sophia home from the hospital. We bring this beautiful baby girl who, disclaimer, I love with my entire life and always remind me I do. But the day before we brought her home, we got to look out the window and be like, oh, that sunset looks nice. Let's go take a walk and go see it. And now, when I look out my window and say, oh my gosh, that sunset looks cool, I'm like, all right, let's try to go outside, but Theo's in the refrigerator trying to pour his own milk, and now it's spilled, and Sophia's doing finger paint, but she stepped in it, and now there's footprints going up my stairs, so I don't think we're going to be able to go see a sunset tonight because of these blessings we brought home. But the day we brought her home... The structure of my previous life was there. It was yesterday. Yesterday I could go out for the walk and see the sunset with Jacqueline. Today we never can again. Forever. But when you're so close to what was, you're not used to this shift. Because you can still see what was working. Because we don't know what we are now. Do we work at work or do we work at home? And why are some businesses inexplicably going back to at the office? Who goes to the office anymore? That's weird. That's so 2019. So we're a Zoom culture now, but really we're not because we just had a membership meeting on Zoom and none of you like to have your face on the Zoom anymore. <laughs> 
I see your name or whatever your alias is or some silly like mugshot, but I don't see you anymore. So we don't know if we're there or not. But I think the same goes for the relationships that we're in. I don't know if we know if we're there or not. I don't know that we know if we're here right now, or as Dr. Chris Howe said, if we just showed up to church and dropped our body off and went and got coffee. Because we're in a gray zone. We're in a gray zone. Life events. A diagnosis. Ten minutes ago, life was one way. Ten minutes later, it's very different now. A death in the family. Just before that phone call, it was one way. After it, it still feels like it's that way, but it's not. Retirement or getting your first career job. Moments where yesterday it was one way, and today it's a different way, and I'm not used to it. Gray zone. Well, there's a biblical word for a gray zone, and it's called wilderness. Wilderness is the place between one system and before another where God is going to show you you before he puts you into a new place. Jesus said it himself in John 16, 33. He said, in me you will have peace, but in the world you will have tribulation. The war has ended, but the peace hasn't come. In me you'll have peace, but in the world you will have tribulation because the world is in a gray zone and my presence is the only thing that's never a gray zone. It is holy, it is righteous, and you do have it, but you have it in a gray zone. We call it the tabernacle. It's in the wilderness, but in the tabernacle is the presence of God, stable, secure, consistent, the same today, yesterday, and forever, in the middle of everything changing. I believe it is the compline in the Book of Common Prayer that says, in all of the chances and changes of life, may we rest in your eternal changelessness. In the middle of everything changing and transitioning is a presence that is not anxious. Is a presence that is calm. And if we are pulled in a legion-like way, if we are pulled outside of that tabernacle, that presence, that person, we will be absorbed into the anxiety of the day. But right in the middle of the gray zone is a presence that will allow us to be in anxious times in unanxious ways. Walking into a situation that is anxious, but the peace that passes all understanding in you isn't just something that is in you, it's something that is contagious when we're aware of it. The wilderness is ground zero for anxiety. It's the place of anxiety. It's also the place where Jesus builds a tabernacle, and it's also the place where Jesus binds Satan. So if you are looking at an anxious reality in your life right now, maybe you are the anxious reality in your life right now. In that place of anxiety is also the place where Israel builds a tabernacle and where Jesus binds Satan. 
the more we try to get out of what's ailing us, the more we might walk away from the one who is the tabernacle and the one who is binding Satan. Sometimes we have to stand our ground in the middle of the anxiety, tell the truth about what is, and wait for the presence to show up in our life. Running from the situation, and maybe not physically, but mentally thinking past it or mentally thinking backwards before it, that is going to keep us from the presence that is stabilizing us in it. You're going to experience the peace that passes all understanding just before your surgery. I know this because I've had 75,000 of them. You're not going to escape it. But in it is going to be a peace that passes all understanding in you. But you can't think ahead of it, and you can't think backwards before it. you got to stare Goliath in the face. And find that peace there. Jesus will always have the peace in the truth of what's happening. He will never offer peace in a fantasy. He will never offer peace in an illusion. He will offer peace when you can say the truth about what is. That's where the peace is to be found. In gray zones... Next week, we'll talk about temptation number two. Temptation number one in gray zones is to idolize the past and wish it could be happening now. Israel, when they built the new temple, wept over the way the old one looked. Read Nehemiah. Read Ezra. When an era is passing from your life, it intensifies as it's passing. As Israel was leaving Egypt, their intensity to go back grew. As Israel was building a new temple, their intensity to replicate the old one grew. As an era is leaving your life, the desire for it intensifies. If you've had the honor and the privilege to be with a loved one as they're passing away, as they're passing away, the desire to be with them intensifies. As something is changing, the way it was begins to intensify. And we're tempted to try to build structures in our life that can replicate what is passing away, what is changing, what is renovating, what is forming anew. We ask God for blessings, but what we really want are the blessings in a life that doesn't have to change. Give me the blessings I want, but give them to me in a way that makes me not have to change much. So God starts to bestow blessings on our life, and all of a sudden, everything around us changes. Where we live, how we eat, how we walk, the friends we have, the places we go, the calling we have. And we're like, no, no, no. I didn't want things to change. I just wanted the blessings, but that's not how it works. We live under the tyranny of the familiar. It's easy like a slinky snapping back. It's easy to go back to what we know worked, but it doesn't work anymore. So we go back to what was so familiar, but it's different now. Like the uh, picture that Ian came up with for this. It's like, it, it's like going to an amusement park the day after it closed. It's all still there, but it's powered down. It's different now. Anxiety is birthed when we try and force 
a past way of life into a new season. Why? Because every harvest is different, Salem. Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Every harvest is different. And if we're constantly trying to replicate harvests of the past, we will not be good farmers in the present. The past that is good is never lost in what God is doing today. I'm going to say that again. The past that is good is never lost in what God is doing today. It's in there, but it changes. And we will continually be anxious presences if we refuse to live into the evolving, progressing reality that Christ has us in. You're changing. Look at the person next to you and say, you're getting older. Look at me and say, you look forever young. No. We're changing. The world around us is changing. But we're in a gray area. We haven't found what will be the next era of normality. We're in a changing moment. And here's the beauty of it. And here's what the Lord has been saying to me, to Jacqueline, to our leadership. Here's the reality. We get to be Christians at a time like this. Not we have to be. We get to be Christians at a time where things are so uncertain, where things feel so homeless no matter where you are. And we get to be people that can show that in our Father's house are many rooms that are consistent and stable for the person you're about to see tomorrow at work. We get to do this. We get to live in this time. We get to pray in this time. We get to minister in this time. It is not something that is like eating our vegetables. For those of you who like vegetables, you're weird. I don't understand, but that's my analogy. You can have your own. So let's talk about life between structures. What are some ways that we can open our soul, open up our flesh to the Holy Spirit to say, how do I live well in a gray zone? The macrocosmic ones that we're all living in and the microcosmic ones that you're in or about to be in as things in your life change and shift. Our Isaiah text, he tears the powerful down. And those that wait upon the Lord, their youth is renewed. Energy comes from someplace. What causes us to lose our energy? It's power that we're using to try and make life happen so that we can live in an area that we have found most comfortable and we will fight and we will force and we will do everything we can to ourselves, to the people around us, to make life work. And that is going to be an exhausting endeavor. And so the first thing we need is humility. Letting go of power to make happen. Letting go of the kind of power that we use to try and force and make things happen. When we do that, we will be exhausted. And when you feel that exhaustion, you know what we should say? Thank you for this blessing of exhaustion. Because it's a gift that the Spirit is giving us to show us that we are taking over His job. 
you touch the hot iron and it burns your hand, you say, thank you. Now I know not to touch the hot iron anymore. There are many of us in this room where we are being diligent and we're being ambitious and we're being good workers, but we are working to fight to make a version of our life remain or replicate or stay. And we are exhausted. We are expending emotional capital in probably worse ways that we spend our actual capital. Many of us will say, Pastor, I'm not really good with my money. I don't really have a good budget. Listen, we are all far worse with our emotional budget. We just are spending on everything, trying to make life work the way that we want it to work, and we're just spending our emotional capital and wondering why we don't have energy for the good things in life. Last week when we brought our first fruit offering, we said, Lord, this year we want to struggle with your energy, Colossians 1.29. We want to be like the burning bush, on fire but not consumed. Let's not forget about that after we bring the offering and then we forget about that for the rest of the year. We're going to remind ourselves of that all year long, that if we are fighting to make life happen our way, we are not struggling with his energy. We're struggling with ours, and it is on E. But when we let go of that kind of power to make something happen in somebody else's life, to push somebody to some place, to make my life comfortable the way that I want it to be, when we let go of that fight, we stand in some hardship, yes. We stand in some confusing gray areas, yes. But we are filled with a renewed youth to face down those situations. A youthful exuberance that we didn't know we had. That is refreshing, even if the moment we're in is not. Honesty is number two. You might not like me for this one, but I love you. I love you. I want to be all things to all people that by any means necessary, we might win some. We've heard this verse before, I hope. You all read your Bible every morning before the sun comes up. Multiple chapters, taking notes, using a commentary, writing sermons just in case you're called upon in season or out of season. This is happening all the time showing up to work with a journal filled with words for the day, knowing what's going to happen before it happens because the Spirit already showed it to you like a movie. This is how we're walking in life? No. But hopefully your Bible app sent you your verse for the day. Ooh. Ridiculous. Where am I? Honesty. Right, right, right. Honesty. We always are Paul in this story. I got to be all things to all people that by any means necessary. So if people are weak, I'll become weak. If people are outside the law, I'll be outside the law. If people are from, you know, a different place, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up in their way. And, I'm go and th that, you know what that's called? It's called hospitality, yes? But we never think about it the other way. You ready? What do people, I'm going to ask myself this in front of my wife. You ready? What do people in my life have to become to reach me? We always talk about it like, what do we have to become to reach others? But I want you this week to say to yourself, what do the people in my life have to become in order to be able to be around me and be comfortable? 
can the people around me be themselves and be around me? I don't know. I'm asking you. I don't want to ask Jacqueline. I'm asking you. Can your kids be kids and not have to be adults to be around you? Can your coworkers be having a bad day and be able to be having a bad day and be around you and feel safe? What do people around me have to become to be able to be around me and be safe? What, what am I making people have to do? It's not funny. It is. It is funny. It's also tragic, but it's funny. But we, we have, as Christians, we're always onward Christian soldiers, but we never have the humility to say, what kind of person am I, and what do other people have to do to get around me and feel safe? When we're in anxious presence, and I'm not talking about clinical mental anxiety, I'm talking about societal systematic anxiety. Okay? Disclaimer. But the more anxious we are, the more forceful over our own life, what happened to the time? Like, it doesn't go this fast when we're waiting for the kids to go to bed. Why it got to go fast now? Anyway, I'm putting some of you to sleep, I can see, so that's fine. Just kidding. What do you all have to be right now to be in the room with me? <laughs> Awake, quiet. Let's not go around. It's a rhetorical question. Didn't really want answers. Let's not whiteboard it. Self-awareness is going to be the key to making other people feel less anxious around us. Self-awareness. You ready? Just put it this. If you want to write it down, just say, Lord, show me where I'm high maintenance and I don't want to be. I want to be low maintenance. I want people to be able to be having a bad day and be their worst self and still be able to be around me. But we need honesty. We can't just leave here and say, I want that. We have to leave here, and while we're being that not good version of ourselves, see it, name it, and say, right now, Holy Spirit, at 2 p.m., in this office, I need to change now. Okay. All right. And finally, flexibility. The gospel story. So many things to unpack in that gospel story, but obedience being greater than productivity. Because they said to Jesus, there's a lot of people who need you. There's a lot of sick people around you. We've been looking for you. But Jesus, who got up early and did not just assume that the work he did yesterday that worked really well, Salem, hear this, last night he's healing people and casting out demons Healed Peter's mother-in-law. All kinds of stuff. <laughs> and now, 
he could wake up the next day and say, let's do it again. Let's run it back. Kansas City Chiefs, let's do it again. But, I mean, I got nothing. The Giants ran it back from last year. They did the same thing. Terrible. He says, I know a lot of people need me here. I know we did a lot of good work yesterday. But today we have to go to a different place. But they need you. Let's be going. He could have been productive. Instead, he was obedient. He could have replicated last night, but instead said today's a new day, and God has different plans, and I need to be flexible. He's revealing that the perfect human life is a life, you know the whole, if it's not broke, don't fix it, or whatever the case is? Jesus will look at something that's not broken and leave it, and go work on something else. Well, that doesn't seem efficient. My boss doesn't want me to live like that. Our Heavenly Father does, though. There are things that worked last year that if you try to do it again this year, it's not going to work. There are things that you were productive in last year that if you were productive in again this year, it would be sinful because he wants you to be productive in different things this year. It's not always, and it usually is easy when it's the difference between a good thing and a bad thing, but when it's the difference between two great things, obedience gets a lot more difficult. When we are young in the faith, it's always the difference between good or evil. But when, it's, when we're surrounded, you ready, Salem? When you lived your life so well that you're surrounded by 15 really good options, that's more difficult than when you're surrounded by 10 bad ones and one good one. You don't need your pastor when there's 11 options and 10 of them are terrible. But when you've lived well and you've grown and you have matured and you are following the leading of the Spirit in your life and now you have 16 good options on the table, that's when obedience gets difficult. That's when you need to get up early and not run from desolate places, but go to them. If you're in a desolate place in your life right now, it's because God is waiting for you to pay attention to the next thing that he has for you in your life. And it is not a replication of what came before. It's something new. It's not leaving the church either. I can promise you that. Just kidding. Let's have the worship team come up. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Humility, honesty, flexibility. That's how we live in the gray zones. Say, Pastor Gray, honesty, humility, flexibility, awesome. What is something I can do before I could even do those things? I'll tell you this. Silence. Silence is the refusal to domesticate or normalize a situation. I don't know if you know this about me, but I come from a family of talkers. Jeez, Doreen. There's something about needing to always say something that makes us try to domesticate and normalize something that may be way out of our control. The need to have to explain. The need to have to answer. Even our own internal monologue. Silence before the cross of Jesus. 
Jesus hanging on a cross, his feet above the earth and below heaven. He's hanging in a gray zone, in between, in between places, hovering over the earth like the Holy Spirit hovered over the earth in Genesis. People say, what do you think it was like when the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters? I think it was exactly like staring up at the cross and seeing Jesus hover over the earth and speak seven creative words over the fallen seven days of creation. And it's in the moment when we can look at the cross as Easter people when we realize what looks like destruction is the phase just before germination. What looks like destruction in your life, disappointment, being stagnant, being stuck, inactivity, or on the other side of that extreme, mind-numbing activity amounting to nothing. That destruction is the phase before germination, but what we have to be able to do is not try to get through it, not try to ignore it, but to stand in it silently and wait for the peace that passes all understanding to be ours. Let's stand to our feet this morning. On the night when he was betrayed, And structures were colliding around him. And the structure that he was trying to build seemed to the naked eye like it was no match for the power structures of the day. The peace that passes all understanding himself stands up at night when the sun had set in the presence of his betrayer, in the presence of his enemy, the devil, in the presence of darkness. And the first thing he is able to do is he gives thanks. Because peace immediately can stand in anxiety and overflow with thanksgiving. And he looks at the brokenness. And he looks at the spilled wine. And he sees the chaos that he saw in Genesis chapter 1. He looks over the bread and he looks over the wine and he sees the formless and void waters. And he hovers over this meal the way that the Spirit hovered over the water, the way that he would soon hover over the ground when he's high and lifted up on the cross. He hovers over this meal and he speaks creative words into it. And he says, this is no longer bread. This bread is now my body. And this wine is now my blood. And he speaks the days of creation into the meal. And he says, take this and eat in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your broken heart, in the midst of being stuck, in the midst of your betrayal and denial and doubting and fleeing and running. This is my presence in your life exactly where you are right now. I don't know why evil happens. 
But I do know Jesus was born. And I do know Jesus died. And I do know Jesus is coming again and shows up every day. Christ has died. Say it with me. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's what we say over chaos. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's what we say over anxiety. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's the truth we know. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would hover over this bread that's on the altar and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. I pray that you would forgive us of our sins. Why don't we just take a moment here in this silence and just confess whatever is moving up into your spirit right now. Just offer it to the Lord as a gift. forgive us all of our sins and strengthen us in all goodness through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know those sins are forgiven this morning? You know that you could stand in the consequences of them knowing they're forgiven and God is now inhabiting the space of those consequences and he's speaking creative words into them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would descend on us also. And after we receive this meal, may we become the body of Christ. And as we leave here today, may we leave here as a river of life mingled with fire, bursting forth from the sanctuary, flooding the streets of Beacon, the Hudson Valley, and the surrounding area, bringing life and growth, revival, and healing to the land. Yes, we're broken, but our brokenness is now filled with your presence. May we be unanxious presence as we leave here, bringing peace where we go. In your name, and everybody said, at this time, the ushers will release you from the back to the front. I'll ask Elder George if he could stand over here, and Elder Ron if he could stand over here. Jacqueline will get the elements for you. Salem, come forward and worship with us one more time this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.